Well, God's people, let's turn in God's Word to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. We are reading this morning verses 9 through 13. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. God's people, these are the words of God, so let's give our attention to them. And before we read them and hear the word preached, let's pray to the Lord and ask for His help. Father, we do thank You for speaking to us. We're thankful that You encourage us in Christ, Your Son, even here, as Lord willing, You will do by Your Spirit and by Your grace. As You speak, Father, we pray that You would humble Your servant, uh, the one who speaks as an ambassador for You. We pray that Your name would be heard, the Gospel would be heard, it would be received and believed upon, and that we would not hear any man but that we would hear Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. For that alone is what we need, and that's what we love to hear. And so grant us your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, and verse 9. These are God's words. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they are they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Those are God's words. And since the beginning of chapter 8, Jesus has performed many miracles of healing by commanding the healing, by uh, even His Word, by touching, and even doing that uh, with His Word from a distance. Even from a fever, a small thing like a fever, all the way to the healing, the one who is in excruciating pain with uh, paralyzed, having the palsy, And as well, casting out demons from two men, showing even though, even through his commanding of the winds and the sea, that not only does he have authority and power over demons, but he has a power and authority over all creation. All those miracles performed by Jesus have shown his almighty power and authority. And yet all these miracles also showed Christ's power and authority over the effects of sin. And therefore all these miracles are pointing to Jesus Christ as the one who can save you, who can save you entirely from your sins and the effects and consequences of your sins. Jesus alone 
can do that. He's the one alone who can reverse illness. He can deliver from danger. He can deliver from the power of demons. This is the Savior of sinners who will save His people from the guilt and the power and the consequences of their sins. He can deliver from hell. He can deliver His people from the bodily effects of sin when He will raise them to glory at the last day. In the passage before us today, we see the application of this in Jesus' dealings with sinners. Sinners who were very obviously and publicly sinners. Sinners who were regarded as the sinners, as the sinners, by the sinful but self-righteous Pharisees. The first point this morning, Christ saves the worst of sinners. Christ saves the worst of sinners. Verse 9, And as Jesus passed forth from thence, He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And He saith unto him, Follow Me. And He arose and followed Him. Matthew, that is the same Matthew of Matthew's Gospel, of which the Lord uh, is working through him, carrying him along by the Holy Spirit, 2 Peter 1. He's carrying along Matthew by the Holy Spirit, speaking His Word through Matthew. And that's what we have before us. And Matthew was previously a tax collector, a publican. He was a Jewish man, and yet he was a government official. He was a publican. He worked for the government. But not the Jewish government, but the Roman government. And so you can imagine how the Jews might look upon Matthew as one who sold out his fellow countrymen of the Jews so he could get money. To be a tax collector. And this man was detested by the Jews and among the Jews. And you see that with the Pharisees and how they look upon publicans in this passage. Tax collectors in this passage. Tax collectors were called upon to take up the tax from the citizens of the Roman Empire. Which the Jews were part of the Roman Empire at that time. And then they were also free themselves to require more money as they're collecting those taxes so they could gain for themselves. And they did this to the great hurt of many. The tax collectors in this time were often very greedy men. These men didn't care for God's law. They had no regard or concern for the welfare, even of their own people, of the Jews. If one family who were perhaps in dire straits financially, they didn't care. They did everything to get their money. They would take all of their money as long as they're getting the money. Matthew was a tax collector. You look at verse 9, we can see the effects of the Lord's saving grace in Matthew. Matthew is there working. Jesus saw Matthew and said to Matthew, Follow me. 
And Matthew got up and followed him, Jesus. Notice first here, friends, that Matthew does not hear the call of the Lord Jesus to follow him and then say, as you might say, Rabbi, I am too great a sinner. Look at what the Pharisees and all the Jews think of me. He doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't speak about his past and his wickedness and his greed. He doesn't hide it either. He's there, it says. Remember, the Lord working through Matthew. His, Matthew's personality is in the Gospel, and yet the Lord's Word. Matthew here, the Lord through him, reveals that he is sitting, where? At the receipt of custom. He's sitting at what some of your translations say, the tax collector's booth or something like that. He's sitting there at the table where you paid your taxes. Everyone around can see who it is and what he is. And they despised him, but not Jesus. Jesus called to him, follow me. He's not caught up, that is Matthew's not caught up on his past sins. He doesn't try to hide his past sins. He's a sinner. He doesn't claim his past sin as reason to not follow Christ. There were no dramatic accounts of what he had been as a tax collector and sinner. What he had done, what he had seen, uh, what he could remember of the evil of his past. But what he does show is enough to honor and glorify the Savior of sinners. Under the inspiration of the Lord, Matthew carried along in his writing of this Gospel attests to his own wicked and sinful background with just saying he was sitting at the receipt of custom. He doesn't drag on and on and on about it. Simply saying where he sat. Which is enough to know of his evil and his sin. And he leaves it there to get to Christ, to follow Him. He doesn't sensationalize his past sin. That's uh, very prevalent in the church today. And in, uh, since I've become a Christian uh, for the past 24 years or so, 25 years, uh, lots of people love to sensationalize their sin. Very prominent in the latter part of the 20th century. But what does Romans 6 say? That sensationalizing your sin, kids, means you go on and on about your sin to then show, look how great Jesus is. And that's great to show how great Jesus is. But we're not to sensationalize it. Romans 6, What fruit had ye then, that is in the past, what fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin, and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end of ever, and everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Of those past things, you're ashamed, Christian. You're ashamed of those past things. 
There's no fruit in your wicked, sinful past life that you can use today. That you are a Christian now ashamed of those things. There's no fruit in it. So stop going back to those things. Stop even considering those things. Repent of those things if you haven't already. Repent of those things, but move on to Christ and His grace. Don't be ashamed of those things, yes, but move on to Christ. Sinners saved by grace don't glory, sensationalize, they don't glory in their past sins. Well, look, I used to use drugs, and, I, uh, and, and one day God saved me from the drugs. No, He saved you from sin by God's grace. And you move on to talk about how great this, the grace of God is. But we don't glory in our past sins. Then, friends, notice something about saving grace. And the grace worked in those who are His people. Grace worked causes one to make sacrifices. Grace work causes one to make sacrifices. Those making sacrifices for Christ, the ones who are making the sacrifices, those sacrifices to the ones making the sacrifices, those sacrifices seem small. Little account. They seem small. The sacrifices are not that big of a deal because we're making them for Jesus Christ. Grace causes men and women to think that sacrifices for Christ's sake are small. Verse 9 again. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, and he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose, as Matthew arose, and followed him. Matthew simply, it says, arose and followed him. Psalm 119 says, I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. I made haste and delivered not to keep thy commandments. I delayed not to keep thy commandments. This is the beauty of having the four Gospels. Because we can go to Luke's Gospel and see how Luke, the Lord through Luke, uh, explains what happened to Matthew. And you can see here what Matthew, how the Lord through Matthew, explains what happened to himself. Luke's Gospel says that Matthew left all and followed Christ. He left all, everything, and followed Christ. And Matthew, writing under the inspiration of the Lord, yes, he did that. But we see what he wrote. He simply wrote, he arose and followed him. Matthew got up and followed. And yet you see the grace worked in the heart because he had left all. And yet that wasn't important to write for Matthew. It was nothing to Matthew to get up and follow Christ. Why? Because it's Jesus Christ. Right? And we give up everything to follow Him. You give up everything to follow Him. But that's not a big deal. It's a small thing to give up everything to have Christ. Which is everything. Who is everything. Those who know and love Christ esteem Him Above all, honor Him above all other things. 
They have high views of Christ. They, that will cause, to, cause us to make little of all those sacrifices we have to make along the way in our lives for Him. Those things are small that we have to give up or that we have to endure for Him. He says to count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. But perhaps you make your life to be of great toil and work because you have such a low view of the Savior because we think so little of Him. We think then any sacrifice made for His cause, for His honor, for His worship, for His name, we consider those sacrifices a huge thing because you have too low a view of Jesus Christ. The same for affliction. Any affliction received in service to Him seems so great. Why? Because we have such a low view of Jesus Christ. You look back in the past, those who have gone before us, forefathers in the faith, have they, how they suffered for Christ's sake. And we consider how much they endured for Christ's sake, but they didn't think it so. We think it so, but they didn't think it so. You look at their writings, they didn't, they didn't write that like, they didn't think like that. They thought nothing of it. It was a small thing to them to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ is everything. Just like the scripture says, they esteemed the reproaches of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. They were taken up so much in the excellency and the glory and the loveliness and beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they considered it a light affliction for a moment. And yet for ourselves, under much lighter afflictions and sufferings that we endure at times, sufferings for Christ's sake ourselves, much less than what our forefathers have gone through that we've probably read about, we, what do we do? We complain We murmur, we grumble, even under minor difficulties in the service of Christ, or we take those things where we suffer, and we do glory in the Lord, but we show how great the suffering and sacrifice was when it was just a little thing. It's because we have too low a view of Jesus Christ. Instead of glorying in Jesus Christ, we glory in the sacrifice we made. If we could but see His beauty, so that the joy of the Lord would be our strength. The joy of the Lord would be our strength. Communion with Christ, the glimpse of His greatness would sweeten all of our service and sacrifice to Him. And so then all those sacrifices, all those afflictions, all those sufferings for Christ, for His sake, seem... Small, would seem small in size compared to the Savior who is worthy of all the love and devotion and reverence and obedience and following of our whole soul and our body. Matthew gave up what? He gave up his job. We're going to read about it in a second. He gave up his home. He gave up his job. He gave up everything, Luke says. He gave up all things. He gave up everything, everything for Christ Jesus. How would he survive? 
How would he support his family? He puts his life, his livelihood, all all in the hands of the Savior. Look at verse 10. It came to pass that Jesus sat at meat in the house. Behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Mark's Gospel, the parallel passage, it says, And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. Matthew referred to it as it refers to it as the house. Mark says it was Matthew's house. It was Matthew's house. Christ and the disciples were there. Who else was there? Matthew gave up his home. It's not his anymore. It's Christ. He gave up his home. The tax collectors were there. All those who knew Matthew, Matthew knew them. He brought them. He gave up his home so that they could come and be there. So Jesus could teach them. And all the sinners too. Matthew knew. He brought them. They were all there to hear and learn and know Christ. And so he gave up his home to serve the Lord Jesus as a sacrifice. So friends, are your homes open and at the disposal of Christ? When there's absolute need of your home, is your home open? They are given for a good family life, our homes are. The instruction of children, grandchildren. But there are also places the Lord has given, uh, He has given to you for Him. Not only with your children and grandchildren and family. Are they open? Are your homes open so that the church can grow there? Be strengthened there and fellowship together with the body of Christ there. Where fellow sinners can come and hear Jesus. Matthew's home was at the disposal of the Savior. It was open. It was there ready as necessary for the people of God for fellowship, for instruction, for communion. Why? So that sinners like him could hear Jesus Christ. One of the worst of sinners, Matthew, the tax collector, gave it all up for Christ in a moment. He believed, he followed Christ leaving everything for Christ's sake, and it was just a small thing to give up. He gave up everything, and that everything was small because Jesus was everything. Christ saves the worst of sinners. If Christ saves the likes of Matthew, if He saves people like him and Saul of Tarsus, Adam, who's the murderer of all mankind, because he ate of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. If he can save those men, he can save you. He can certainly save you. Nothing is impossible for Jesus Christ. If he can take the sinful tax collector and make him an apostle for Christ's sake, for his sake, he can change any heart and make all things new. He can make your heart new. And Jesus calls to you now and He says, follow me. Follow me. And so follow Him, friends. Now, follow Jesus. The second point 
this morning. You see it in verses 10 and 11. Christ the great physician. Christ the great physician. You see it to the end of our passage. Verse 10. It says, And it came to pass, as Jesus said at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? Here is, Christians, your warning. Your warning. You're here warned today to never be ashamed of Jesus Christ. To never be ashamed of Jesus Christ. Never be embarrassed by Jesus Christ or the Gospel because here are the Pharisees. People in their society, the most respected, higher authority we could say. And a lot of what they said went because they had the chief priests and they could muster up muscle and do whatever they wanted. Within the limits of God, of course. Here are the Pharisees, and they come to whom? Who do they come to? They come to Jesus' disciples. They did not come to Jesus. They came to the disciples. And they questioned the disciples about what Christ was doing. Why eateth your master? Republicans and sinners. They're really attacking, they're seeking to attack Jesus. They're seeking to attack our Savior through His disciples. That still happens today, friends, to us Christians who are faithful. The enmity of men, the hostility of men against Christ finds its outlet against His disciples, those who learn from Christ, which is all of us. Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? What are you doing having your master Jesus as Jesus? Who? Why would you do that? Your master, your teacher, this man who will eat with publicans and sinners, will you have him as your master? Will you be a disciple of this man? He fellowships with the lowest of the low. And will you have him as your master? He fellowships with hoodlums, we would say maybe today. Will you, friends, be ashamed to own Christ as your master? When the world comes questioning your relation to Him. And they will. Surely, surely, you will not, if you're a true believer, surely you will not. If He is your everything, if He is all your hope and all your life, surely you will not be ashamed of Jesus Christ in that moment when those times come. Is He not all your desire, all your salvation? Is He not your Savior who has done no wrong unto you, who never requires us to do what is wrong? Not sure how the disciples respond to this question. We don't know. Doesn't say. When the question, verse 11, is posed to them, it doesn't give the disciples' response. It's not there. But nonetheless, 
let us always be ready to own Him as our Savior and our Lord. The one who is not fearful, not too high to stoop down to poor sinners to save them. All sinners who turn to Him in faith and repentance, He receives and He fellowships with. And that's why He's there. Consider all the ridicule, the loss of various opportunities and jobs. We could go on and on. The affliction, the torment, the name-calling. Never stop, no matter what comes, like those things. Never stop owning Christ as yours. Your Savior. He is your Savior, Christian. He is your Savior. He is your Master. All His ways are right and true. And so, do not be ashamed or embarrassed of Jesus Christ's words. His ways. His truth. Or of what loyalty to Him may require of you before men. Never refrain from doing good for fear of being judged as doing evil. Because you will, in doing good for Christ's sake, be judged as doing evil by this world. They don't have, the world doesn't have a moral compass, but when good is done, that's evil to them. Unnecessary offense is to be avoided, of course, but well doing is not to be avoided. Doing what is right before the Lord is never to be avoided. The Pharisees' problem here is that they use guilt by association because Jesus is dining with who? Publicans and sinners. They thought, well, doesn't that show just how sinful Jesus is? If if He would eat with them, the greatest of sinners, that's why they go to the disciples. Don't you care, disciples, that you too are hanging out with this Jesus? Jesus who is hanging out with sinners and publicans? That means you're associated with all of them. Don't you care? Jesus, they're saying, Jesus is among them because He loves their sinful ways, right? They were utterly wrong. That's not why He was with them. He was with them to save them. Their pride made them, that is the the Pharisees, their pride made them wickedly and blasphemously wrong. Christ did not change His practice based upon their false accusation though. Did He? Never let your reputation or the appearance of purity of what you look like, be your chief concern or your chief end. If you're able to, in indifferent in, 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 in situations and circumstances, avoid misunderstanding or whatnot, sure, do that. But never hold back from real service to Christ and for the sake of the souls of men and women and children. And that you might be found guilty through guilt by association. By the world and not for any actual sin. Don't hold back from doing good. Our Lord Jesus did not, and so we should not. If we did that in these days, friends, 
no good or very little good for the glory of God would be done by us. Because everything is offensive. And everything is evil when you're doing good in the eyes of the world. Never hold back from doing good. Jesus did not avoid serving sinners just because what others might say, nor should you. He had good reason to be among these men, and so He was there. Verse 12, it says, But when Jesus heard that, that is the question in the previous verse, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard that, He said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The calling there, verse 13, I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That call there is the outward, the general call of the gospel. Like when Jesus says, many are called, many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called. That's the call here. Jesus came to call all sinners to repentance, to faith in Him, uh, to, to come unto Him and believe. That's the general call of the Gospel. That's the call that's happening today when we're hearing the preaching of the Word. It's the call that goes out to everybody, no matter who you are, race, creed, whatever. It doesn't matter who you are. The call goes out to you. To believe on Jesus Christ is freely offered to you. That's the general call. He does not mean there, like the calling in Ephesians, for example, the effectual call, which is different or distinct from the general call. The effectual call in Ephesians, that the Lord calls sinners to Himself and they come. Their hearts are changed and they believe on the salvation. That's the effectual call. This here is that he's speaking about is the general call. It's the message of the gospel going forth, calling sinners uh, to believe. And uh, some of those people do believe. Some of those people are effectually called and do believe. But here it's the general call, the gospel going forth, freely offered to everyone. Part of verse 13, Jesus quotes from Hosea 6. He says, "For I desire, or it says, "For I desired mercy and not sacrifice." And the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. And in Hosea, it's referring to the people of Israel who thought that their ungodly life as regards the commandments of God, the knowledge of God, and the mercy to their neighbor. Um, Israel's total disregard for that, they thought could be made up by offering sacrifices and burnt offerings, and keeping the ordinances of God. And so that mercy, that is to love our neighbor, which the Word of God requires in the law, mercy to them, and, and seeking their good, and the, seeking their eternal salvation, which Jesus is doing here, and the disciples, Lord willing, are doing here, about which the Pharisees cared nothing at all. They, all they cared about were their regulations and their ceremonial purity. He was speaking, Jesus quotes Hosea 6, to saying to the Pharisees the same thing He was saying to Israel. All you care about, you, you think you can do whatever you want. 
to hurt to the hurt of many, and all you have to do is just keep making sacrifices and following the outward ceremonial law or ordinances. And he's saying, no, you need to show mercy. They were simply there so they could compare themselves, that is the Pharisees, they could, so they could compare themselves to these publicans and sinners to show how righteous they were. How righteous, quote-unquote, they were. But our Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus, our Savior, was seeking the good. He was doing what He was saying. Uh, seeking, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. He's showing that mercy by seeking the good of these publicans and these sinners. They were like the sick who need the great physician to heal them in their souls. Who are the sinners and who are the sick? When Jesus says, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Who are the sick? He says also, I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Who are the sinners? The sinners there is referring generally to, uh, or uh, to generally sinners, or is it referring to those who are self-convinced or uh, uh, self-conscious, uh, convicted sinners in their hearts who see their need of the great physician? No, it's not that. It's to sinners generally. The call goes out to who? The general gospel call goes out to who? It goes to all sinners. All peoples. Not just the people who look righteous who are in the church, but to all sinners even in the world. All sinners He calls to come unto Him from their sins and be saved. The gospel proclaimed unto all peoples without discrimination. Why should you believe the gospel? Because of the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ, the promise of mercy and forgiveness to every sinner who comes trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, they'll have it. Mercy and forgiveness of their sins. And how is one able to do this? But by the Lord's power, bringing a sinner to Christ, uh, by making each one who does come conscious and aware by the Holy Spirit of their sins, convicting them of their sin and their guilt before God, and that they turn from that sin and even the guilt and the condemnation that they deserve, and they turn to the Savior who died on the cross to cover that sin and to cover that guilt and to cover the condemnation that was to them. But only sinners who have been convinced by the Spirit of their sinfulness and their need of the Lord Jesus Christ, will see Christ as the one to whom they must come. And so here's Jesus. He's showing even by the Pharisees wrong ideas of their own righteousness. They should have, He's showing to them, they should have been rejoicing. They should have been rejoicing even if they thought they were whole and they were righteous and thought that they had no need of the Savior themselves, they should have rejoiced instead of complained that these sinners, whom they acknowledged and regarded as sinners, that they had come to the great physician. They should have rejoiced that great sinners came to the great physician. That's what Jesus is saying. These Pharisees were not righteous, but they thought they were. And Jesus is saying, you don't think you need repentance. You don't think you need the physician. You think you're well, you're healthy, 
but you regard these people over here, the Pharisees, uh, uh, excuse me, the tax collectors and the sinners, you regard them as such sinful people. Such sinful people. But they didn't, the Pharisees did not even want those who they thought were sinners to be saved, to receive God's grace. Why? Why is it that those who feel no need of God's grace themselves, those who feel no need of salvation in Christ, cannot rejoice in the grace of God even to those who, who they do think need to be saved from their sins or who do they think need God's grace. Why is that? Why is it that the self-righteous who think they need not Christ's salvation cannot rejoice in that salvation being extended to others? Like the elder brother of the prodigal son. He didn't think he needed grace himself. The undeserved favor of God. But he resented it being shown to his brother when he came back. Why? Because only the recipients of God's grace, saving grace, only the recipients of mercy rejoice in that mercy. Rejoice in that grace shown. And so you ought to look at your heart when you see and it's shown that a sinner has repented and been shown God's grace. Do you rejoice? Do you truly rejoice? That shows the state of your heart. The same pride that makes sinners believe they don't need salvation in Christ Jesus also makes them resent the idea that someone else should receive God's mercy or would receive God's mercy in Christ. So great is the pride of the human heart and confident are the self-righteous of their own standing before God that they want to maintain their high place based on their own standard. And they don't want anything to disrupt that or that somehow someone else could be brought up to their level being right with God. They don't want anything to disrupt that. They don't want anyone saved by grace because they're so confident of themselves before God that they think not only that they should be accepted, but others should be condemned. Only those who have seen themselves, though, as guilty sinners before God, only those who have been born of the Holy Spirit and made willing by the grace of God and to depend utterly on Christ, only they rejoice in the same grace being shown to others. And so are you able to rejoice in God's saving grace to others? Because if you can't, Jesus is showing here you're not a Christian. You're more like the Pharisees. You're not a follower of Him. If you can't rejoice in the gospel of grace, and then in that gospel being the power of God unto salvation to others, it's because the power of God unto your salvation has not come. You're still full of pride, full of your self-righteousness, never learning to rejoice in the grace of God because you've never known or tasted the grace of the Lord and salvation. Acts 11. Barnabas is in Antioch. 
And it says when he came, that is when he came to Antioch and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. He did not say or does not say of him that he did not like the idea of those Gentiles believing and being saved or being shown the grace of God. No, he did not object at all. Rather, he gloried in God and how he showed grace to these Gentiles and thanked the Lord because he knew himself himself to be a sinner saved by grace. And how great of a thing that is to be saved out of condemnation and death and to be uh, granted eternal life in Christ Jesus, not for what you've done, but what He did. Is this your rejoicing? Or are you like the Pharisees? Do you love the Gospel? The effects of the Gospel? Do you have a heart to see sinners saved by grace and you look and hope to rejoice when those sinners are saved by grace? From the Lord. Because before them, the Pharisees, stood the great physician. The great physician who heals bodies and souls, and your body and soul, if you would turn unto him today, unto Christ Jesus, the Lord and Savior. The one who heals all your diseases. The one who heals all your diseases, even in your souls. For he makes all things new. You are to turn unto Him today, turn unto Him, call upon Him to save you, and He will save you. That's what He promises. He calls you right now. Follow Me. And His promise here through Matthew is, if you follow Him, you'll be saved. If you give up all things or consider all things as nothing for Him, who is everything, He will save you. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank You for the promises of the covenant of grace. Thank You for the promises of the Gospel in Christ Jesus, Your Son. We're thankful that You have given us of Jesus, Your Son, that He is our Savior. And Father, we pray that there are any here who don't know You, that they would turn unto Him today in faith and repentance. And You would grant that by Your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that You would sanctify us, cleanse us of our sins. Even as Your people, we often don't rejoice when we ought to rejoice. When Your grace comes and saves sinners, we don't rejoice as we ought to. We probably ought to have a great party and celebration and come here then on the Lord's Day and worship You with an even greater love and a greater thankfulness to You for not only our own salvation, but the salvation of many who come unto You in faith. Father, convict us of our sin and turn us again unto Christ Your Son. And forgive us. For Christ's sake we pray in His name. Amen.